welcome to episode 296 of the Spokesman Cycling Podcast. This show was engineered on Sunday, 8th of May, 2022. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast is brought to you by Turn Bicycles. The good people at Turn are committed to building bikes that are useful enough to ride every day and dependable enough to carry the people you love. In other words, they make the kind of bikes that they want to ride. Turn has e-bikes for every type of rider, whether you're commuting, taking your kids to school, or even carrying another adult. Visit www.turnbicycles.com, that's T-E-R-N, bicycles.com, to learn more. Thanks, David, for that intro with our new sponsor. And welcome to the show, which is 40 minutes or so with round-the-world cyclists Marcus Stitz and Mark Beaumont. I'm Carlton Reid, and I met with Marcus and Mark in Oban, Scotland, before they set off on a wee bike, boat and ferry trip around Argyll. I was in town after my own little tour around the region, which Marcus helped organise. Thanks, Marcus. And as you can tell from the clinking of cutlery and a little bit of Muzak, we met for breakfast in a cafe. So we are, where, where are we? We're in the cafe shore. In Oban. In Oban. Mm-hmm. And you're about to head off, you, you, you two, on a, a bit of a wee trip. Where about are you going this morning? Are you getting a boat that I hear? Yes. So physically in, not ferry, a boat. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. it's hard to go, uh, it's hard to go far and I go on the Isles without going on a boat. Uh, I mean, the mainland's beautiful, but, um, you know, by bicycle, it's always just amazing when you, when you, when you go across to, uh, to the islands, especially the smaller islands, which are, you know, I guess less often explored by bike and, um, when they are, it's often by blue bikes. So having gravel bikes like we've got for this trip, you know, allows us to, you know, really explore the, the complete range of, of terrain. And I, I, you know, I, I absolutely love this part of the world. My, my first memories were in Argyll. My dad was a, you know, a dairyman further down on the mainland. So my first memories were looking over to, to the Isle of Gia. And, um, you know, whilst I then grew up in other parts of Scotland, it's, it's always pretty special to come back. And then how long is this trip? So describe, maybe Marcus, maybe Marcus, describe what exactly you're going to be doing from today. Because you're doing this over a number of months, aren't you? This is not like... Yeah, so we're doing it over, like, it's, it's nine days in total. Um, the distance roughly is about 900 kilometres, but, like, add a few bits and less. And so this first part of the trip um, will take us, we're taking a, a boat, a charter boat, but actually which is also available to other people who won't be doing the same, um, um, which is running us over from Quinnan Harbour to the northern end of Jura. And then we'll be staying, we're cycling across Jura, and then we're staying in, on Isla tonight. And then tomorrow we'll be taking a ferry from Port Askeg on Isla um, over Colonse to Oban and then we're taking another ferry over to Mull and then we'll be cycling to Tobamoe and then we'll have a few boat trips on Sunday from Tobamoe to the Isle of Cole 
um, then another ferry journey to Tairi from Cole, and then another boat trip back to... There's more uh, boat trips on this than... There's, there's possibly, yeah, there's definitely <laughs> more, more, more kilometres in, in, <laughs> yeah. on, on ferries. But, like, it's interesting because when I design... When we had a look at it, so the, the Agal boundary is actually even more extensive because there's so many little islands. So, if, you know, if you would want to add any of those in there, you'll possibly spend half a year cycling or boating around. Um, but the idea behind creating the route is that it's, it's accessible to most people. So it's only two private charters we have. Um, and, and the other parts of the route are quite interesting as well. So I'm going to be doing another three days of filming with Jenny Graham, which will involve kayaking across Loch Lomond. Um, and taking the Highland Explorer train for a short journey as well. And then the last bit um, will be mostly on the bike. Actually, that's going to be where we'll be mostly cycling um, and, a, and a week kayak journey over back to, to Danun. So you're really showcasing the, the region by doing everything you can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the genesis for this project came out uh, two years ago now when Marcus and I, you know, both living in Edinburgh in the heart of lockdown wanted to explore that concept of how far you could go while staying close to home. So the Explore Your Boundaries concept started on the 2nd of January when we did a, in the deep snow, a sort of an epic sort of ride slash pushing our bikes through the Pentlands and around the Firth of Forth. And uh, it was quite cool, that concept to an area that I know pretty well, Marcus knows well, but in familiar and unfamiliar ways. When, when, uh, when lockdown was at its uh, sort of peak, you know, we weren't allowed to cross our council boundaries and nobody really knows where their council boundary is. I mean, you might notice that the bins change colour, but, you know, it's not normally a thing unless you're a councillor. Well, actually, we're, we're recording this on the 6th of uh, May, so maybe today people do care about where their council boundaries are because it's been the council elections being a, being a, but normally it's not really a thing. And um, so Marcus and I got all the GPX routes for the council boundaries in Scotland and just started to quietly encourage people to, you know, stay local, but, you know, go on adventures. And I think there's something wonderful about giving a narrative to it rather than just going on a bike ride, you're, you're actually sort of forcing yourself to stick to a line or to create a route. And, and Explore Your Boundaries was more of a metaphor than just a physical route. It was very much about sort of pushing yourself and having a great adventure. And that series. The vegetarian? Shrek has arrived. <laughs> we should include this. Breakfast? Don't worry, it's not the only thing that... That's You've got the cool one. Yeah. And the porridge? Yeah, <laughs> so then that... So the first... The first... Um, four or five Explore Your Boundaries were all in central belt of Scotland. Mm. And the more we did, the more people seemed to sort of latch on to that concept. And we posted the, the routes on commute and encouraged people to, to explore their own areas. Um, but the council boundaries in the central belt of Scotland are all day rides or two day rides at most. Uh, when you start to consider Perthshire or, you know, Angus or Argyll on the Isles or the Highlands, these are, these are much, much bigger challenges. And so when Argyle is an area that I've explored lots, Marcus has explored lots, but to take that concept of explore your boundaries 
and to try and come up with a route or a concept which would hopefully inspire other people to, to go on adventures was uh, a bit more challenging. And that's where Marcus comes into his own. He's an absolute sort of um, genius when it comes to, to, to route setting. And um, we brought Jenny into this project. I think it's fantastic that, you know, we can split it into basically three three-day explores. And I think that's more realistic for how people actually go on their adventures. You know, we've just taken Friday's off, head out, adventure all day Saturday and Sunday, and you can go back to your job on a Monday having had this, you know, extraordinary adventure across lots of islands and terrain. So this will, this will be our most challenging Explore Your Boundaries yet, for sure. Uh, it's been challenging to even plan it. Marcus has done the, he the heavy lifting on that, but it's it's going to be a ton of fun. But it is it is continuing the series. It is continuing this. We're quite addicted to that idea. I mean, people, you know, Bagman Rose people, um, you know, want to swim in every loft. And you know, I think for a gravel bike rider, this concept that we started of can you create routes around around uh, around around each boundary is, is quite tantalizing because you end up taking your bike to parts of Scotland and the country that you know you wouldn't normally have reason to see. Mm. Now you're gonna need fuel for this ride, so yeah. don't let me stop you. <laughs> we'll eat while we will we talk your, yeah. your period. I'm sure people won't mind listening to you shopping. <laughs> um, you mentioned people going to, to, to work there. Um, this is your work. Yeah. Would I be right in thinking you both do this? This is your living. This is, this is what you do. You, you ride your bike and you get paid for it. Some of the time. Some of the time. Okay. <laughs> Explain how you guys make your money. So I, uh, was Marcus, you go first. <laughs> <laughs> mm, I guess for me, it's, it does change. Um, but I think the, the, the core concept of what I'm doing, so I, I do three things, which is bikepacking in Scotland, then my own stuff, um, which is under my own name, and then I run events as well, but they don't really call it to come into this one. But I think most of my work is, is to work with, I think the overarching theme behind it is to get more people out on bikes and, and also to offer them sustainable tourism alternatives but really give people the tools to do it because i think it is really important to to um yeah have offers for people so they can they can get around the country in a different way um and so that's the overarching thing about it is it's a mixture of um i do a fair bit of filmmaking so this this project is is, is a good example of um i'm we're kind of jointly doing the filming i'm doing the editing um then I do I do write and photograph as well and then I've just written the book as well and I think parts of this route is going to come into a new book I'm working on at the moment and then there's also a few companies I work with on a regular basis so Schwalbe has been supporting us for quite a number of That's joint you projects. Tires. You knew the exact tire I was riding on my front. Exactly yeah yes yeah. <laughs> possibly possibly like I think yeah. um, but um, so they've been super helpful. Um, I, I, I only work with, with partners from the industry where I, I think I've got a good feeling with working with. So, so Schwalbe is quite an interesting thing. What I really like is their ethos of sustainability. So as a company, they're trying as much as possible. 
And, and the other thing for me is I speak German, so um, my portfolio of companies I work with um, is sometimes also companies which are... Marcus Eaton, it's going to be um, cold. Marcus actually yeah. eaten his porridge. Because <laughs> 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 like, we did a talk last night in Lee. What was that? Yeah, so I was talking in Lee's um a business I've worked with for 17 years. Good continuity there. And um, and that's partly where you get your money from. So like you've got things on season and you get talks to them to like get inspired. I love I love the opportunity to to do events and talks, but it's not it's not my bread and butter. So you know, there's a lot of um, a lot of athletes who do spend their life at events. Um, I I run a early stage investment firm, so my my background and if you feel people know me as a was a bike rider. You know, I've cycled around the planet twice. That's there's worse things to be known for. But and what I spend my time doing is as an athlete I work for GCN I make documentaries uh, for Global Cycling Network and these days that really accounts for one or two big projects a year major documentaries uh, and then you know, filmmaking with Marcus and you know Marcus undersells himself there his real skill set is reach setting filmmaking you know he's a one man media shop and so far as he can do the stills, the photography, uh, the filming, the drone, you know, on the fight, which is an extraordinary skill set. When I was racing GB Chiru last year, you know, he built that beautifully and edited the day. So, you know, to have that, to have that skill set to capture and share stories is, is amazing. I can't, I can't do that. But, but the, the other side of my life, uh, which is just as important as riding bikes, is um, I'm a partner in an investment firm and we, we are impact investors. We focus on climate change solutions, clean technology, food and water security. You know, I'm a farmer's son and, you know, I, I, I'm interested in the stuff I want to chat to my kids about are the big challenges in the world and trying to back science and technology, which is, you know, creating, creating, creating solutions, global solutions for, you know, the stuff that, that keeps me up at night. Um, we've also got some, some healthcare, uh, lifestyle uh, investments there. So, so I realized sort of we're mixed two very different sides of my life, but I don't, I would, I ride the bike because you know, for a decade and a half, I had a very fulfilling and successful career, you know, as an adventure athlete, uh, you know, making, trying to go out there each year and break records and do world first. Um, I will always be in a, I, I love riding my bike. I love, I love having the ability to push myself and hopefully inform and inspire others to get out there and push their abilities. Uh, but it's not, it's not my main work. I would, I would, I would do it if, um, I would do it if I earned nothing from it because I absolutely love adventure. Uh, you know, I absolutely love adventure and it's, it's a, it's a very meaningful part of my life, but in the next 20 years of my career, you know, will be different to the last 20 of my career. And if I can, if I can back out. If I can back up all the systems of businesses that are making a positive impact in the world, then that's just as meaningful as, you know, adventure cycles, you know, exploring wild places. What difference did it make having children to, to your, to both of those aspects of your life? I think the biggest difference was I um, didn't want to be traveling as much. So, I mean, if you think, like, I mean, I'm nearly 40. You mean abroad, so like, here's okay. Or, or just no, in general? No, I just mean timing. Time, mm. time away. No, no, I don't mean, I don't mean where. I mean, um, 
in my 20s, I would do expeditions that were six, nine months. And, you know, I would be away with the BBC and filmmaking all over the planet for long periods. And it's a completely different equation when you've got two kids at home. Uh, and so the races and projects I take on now all tend to be in a month as opposed to, you know, the last time I was away for months on end was around the world in 80 days, five years ago. So, um, yeah, I still, I still feel like I can push myself as hard as ever. As in terms of my, if you get geeky, like my, my numbers, my VO2 max, my, my, um, my performance on the bike now, you know, I'm, I'm arguably a stronger rider than I was when I went, when I started to ride the world, but I'm training for different things. I'm going faster, but I'm not, I'm not going 18,000 miles. You know, this summer I'll be doing race across America. And, um, you know, we're, so I'm, I'm doing things on the gravel bike, time trial bike, pushing myself in different directions. As an athlete, I, I'm still learning. I wish I'd known in my twenties what I know now, you know, nearly 40. Um, I love that, but, um, you know, my priorities are very different with, you know, two beautiful doors, to, you know, a different work-life balance. And also I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a freelancer in the sense that I can just go and ride my bike every day. You know, I've got a business to run. And I absolutely love the fact that I get to balance that with great adventure. And are you going to be, when you're riding around with Marcus, are you going to be doing business deals on your phone? Marcus is, Marcus is pretty understanding. I mean, Marcus is a great buddy and we've done so many projects over the years. So he does understand that, you know, I'm often chatting about, uh, you know, because to be fair to Marcus, Marcus is massively interested in He's incredibly well read and very interested in the science, the technology, the innovation, you know, the, the things that we're addressing. So we often end up riding our bikes, talking about, um, you know, sustainability, talking about, um, you know, innovation and businesses and, you know, behavior and on all these things, which are absolutely what we're trying to do at EOS, which is the rest of my, uh, my work. So I'm not, I'm not one of these people who's entirely distracted the whole time and, you know, trying to, trying to, trying to do my email when you're riding your bicycle. But, um, but I, 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 I do see it as the same, the same thing. You know, when I'm on my bike, I often think I don't meditate, but I do ride a bike. When I'm riding my bike, I've got time to think, I've got time to talk to friends. I've got time to really come up with ideas, make connections. So it's not like I draw a line when I leave my laptop and go, well, you know, I'm not doing that. And, you know, I'm very passionate about what I do on the investment side. I'm very passionate about what I do on the adventure side. And thankfully, Marcus is, uh, is very open to, to, to conversations about those things. So he's not yet hit the big red button and said, sharp, Mark, stop talking about, <laughs> stop talking about innovation. Mm. Right. So Marcus has now, with the information, yeah, Marcus yeah, has now polished up that breakfast. Oh, that went down pretty quick. Uh, and now Mark has got this <coughs> So we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, it's like, we're shuffling between each other. So, Mark, I want to come to you now and then just talk about how come either you have adopted Scotland or Scotland has adopted you. Where, how did you land in Scotland? Where, where, where's your background? Obviously, you, you cycle around the yeah. world and sing this. Um, at what point did Scotland impact on your life? Um, there were two points. So I came to Scotland over Sunderland, actually. I studied half a year in Sunderland and I was using, using the train connection from Newcastle up to Edinburgh a number of times. 
just to visit Scotland because it was such a beautiful place. And then I did an internship in 2005 in New York and had basically had a month to spare. And um, when was this? So uh, 2005. This? Okay. Um, and having been up to Edinburgh, um, I knew about the fringe and I felt like that's a great opportunity. I was at university back then, a uh, great opportunity to get a summer job in Edinburgh and see what it's like. And yeah, so I did a, I was managing a box office in 2005 touring the fringe and mm -hmm. um, loved it. It was great. Um, and I think this has kind of really shaped my view of Edinburgh as well, because it's such an international town, very open-minded, like it's, but it's also traditional at the same time. Um, it's very Scottish. And so, and then I kept coming back um, four years doing pretty much the same, um, either being at university or then I, I worked in New Zealand for a while. And then after, after living in New Zealand for a while, I decided I'm going to come back to Europe. And as, as I've been to Edinburgh beforehand for a few summers, um, I, yeah, it was just a natural choice. And yeah, and this is how I ended up in Edinburgh, worked in the arts for quite a while. And then I had a bit of a career change in 2012 uh, and started as head of marketing at Scottish Swimming. And that was very much, I think part of the, the decision behind it was also, how can I use my skills of games and the arts to work somewhere else? Because I think if you, if you do something for a long, long time, I think you become a bit tunnel vision about it. And the other reason was also, I just, just wanted yeah, it was just a thing, it was just a change of kind of general life change a little bit as well. Um, and the good thing about that job was it was, it always had, um, it was a two month, a two year contract initially. And I wanted something that has a limited time frame because I had this idea of cycling around the world in my head. And so that gave me the opportunity to say, I'm going to do this. I'm really going to focus on that career part for two and a half. It ended up being a little bit more than two years. But then there's a break and that break is going to be cycling around the world. And then I'll do whatever I'm going to do afterwards. I didn't really think about that before I left. So, and, um, and that's kind of how I ended up and which was interesting. So I spent 34,000 kilometers cycling around the world and there was very much with a focus already. I knew I wanted to do something different afterwards. And I was literally looking at how is cycling managed in different countries? What's the attitude to cycling? How do different countries use cycling as a tourism, as a, as a travel alternative? Countries like New Zealand are very interesting, for example, when it comes to that. And so when I came back from the Round the World trip, and, and this is why this trip is really interesting, I ended up in Port Ellen on Isla. That was the first part of, of Scotland, because I took a wee ferry over from Northern Ireland. And at the last four days cycling in Scotland really poured home the idea, this is an amazing country, like we've got so much opportunity here and we just I think it just it just needs use and it needs fresh ideas and needs and needs people behind it that really that really um, pioneer ideas and and that's kind of where the idea of bike packing Stalin and all the work I'm doing right now and does it, does it work does the tourist board think wow this is really boosted our numbers or is it something that is niche where, where do you think it fits into the ecosystem it has I think it was very niche when I started doing it. It has massively, or, or at least notif um, notably changed in the last two years in the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I think beforehand, and then also with the whole discussion about sustainability, I think people now do realize 
things need to change and they also realize that they haven't changed quick enough. Um, so I think the ecosystem in which we're operating now is a very different one. I think we're still, um, I just did a destination leadership program at the university to kind of back up my, my, my skills a little bit. And it was really interesting. I think there is a, there is a will there but there's a very significant lack of knowledge in that. The people don't know what cyclists want. Tourism business don't, don't have an idea. And, and I always think if you tell them that and you make it very clear to them, they're really receptive. I'm yet to find any business who say, we don't want any cyclists to visit us because they, you know, they arrive late, they leave early, they eat loads. Um, so it's brilliant, like from, uh, from, uh, you know, from, from what people actually spend in the community and the way how they spend it. It's, I, I just, I, I could not think of anything better for a community. They don't you're, take, you're not busting in loads of food, are you, in a, in a, in a big camper van? No, you don't do that. You're like, basically yeah. buying, you're good to the local economy as it's a site. Right. Yeah, and you don't need even, you, you don't need infrastructure is minimal what you need. Like, you, know, when, you don't need any parking spaces for people overnight. Things like this, so, and, and, and I think this, and, and it's also like, I think people cycling, in terms of food, they can only take so much on the bike. I recognize that on my round the world trip, three days if you're doing it self-supported is the maximum you can take. Mm. So, you know, you'll end up buying your stuff in local shops, and, which I think is, is a really nice thing to do. So, yeah. Hey, everyone, excuse the interruption, but this is David from the Fredcast and the Spokesman. I just want to take a few moments out of the show to talk to you about our sponsor, Turn Bicycles at www.turnbicycles.com. That's T-E-R-N, like the bird, turnbicycles.com. Turn are committed to building bikes that are useful enough to ride every day and dependable enough to carry the people you love. And today, I want to tell you about their new Quick Haul e-bike. The Quick Haul is a compact e-bike, and it's, it's optimized to make life in the city just a little bit easier, a little bit more convenient, and a lot more fun. It's a compact e-bike, and it's going to handle most of your daily trips around town. It's rated to a hefty 150 kilos, or for those of us Americans, 330-pound max gross vehicle weight. And it's got an ecosystem of modular accessories. This is really cool, by the way, so that it can be customized for any job. Different setups are going to help you carry a load of cargo, maybe an extra passenger, and that could be a small adult, a child, or even your dog or cat. Now, despite its longer wheelbase and its hefty cargo capacity, it's shorter than a regular bike. It's a compact design, plus it's got 20-inch wheels, and that makes the quick haul easier to maneuver on urban streets or maybe even in transit hubs like train stations or bus depots or even ferry terminals. It also includes Turn's vertical parking feature, which is really cool, so that you can just roll the bike into a small elevator or park it in a corner of your apartment. Now, the Quick Haul is also shareable by literally everyone in the family. It's equipped with an adjustable seat post and stem so that it can fit riders from 160 to 195 centimeters or five foot three to six foot five, but it also fits riders 145 to 180 centimeters, which is 49 to 5 foot 11, when you put on the shorter seat post. Now, Josh Hahn, 
who is turned teen captain and also somebody both Carlton and I have known personally for a very long time. Don't ask me and Josh how long we've known each other. Josh is serious about ensuring the safety of turns bikes and its riders. So that's why he and his team ensure that every turn bike is designed and independently tested to ensure rider safety. That's why they use respected independent testing labs and why they source their motors, their drivetrains, and their batteries from German industrial powerhouse Bosch. It, it just doesn't get much better than that. So for more information about the Quick Haul or any of Turn's wide range of bikes, just head on over to turnbicycles.com. That's T-E-R-N bicycles.com. We thank Turn for their sponsorship of the Spokesman podcast, and we thank you for your support of Turn and also for allowing this brief interruption of the show. Now back to Carlton and the spokesman. A big, a big part of the conversation is about how do you get good information out that allows people to know how to access these areas. I mean, it's nearly 10 years since the Wild Bar Gal. So, you know, we're sitting here in Oban, um, Wild Bar Gal started. Uh, Karen Tobin uh, came up with that sort of project with myself and and others, and I spent 12 days exploring this beautiful area. But a big conversation that came out, I mean, it's a real case of, you know, build it and they'll come. Because until you build a narrative, give it a brand, you know, we've seen that in other parts of Scotland. I mean, here it's, you know, the Adventure Coast up in the north coast of Scotland, the NC500, you know, these, the putting, putting locations on the map and then giving people credible information in terms of how to get there. So it's one thing saying that the islands on the west coast of Scotland are beautiful, but you've actually got to help people in terms of how to get there with their bikes. So, you know, drawing the connections with, you know, the trains from London, for example, you can get sleeper training up on a Thursday night or a Friday night and wake up and you're, you're ready to go. Or how do you get the, the bus with, uh, you know, with bike spaces on it? You know, how do you get out from Glasgow, the central belt of Scotland, you know, to these parts? You know, what's the ferry network like? It's not rocket science, but equally it's not, it's not information you're born with. So. Um, a lot of the narrative over the last sort of 10 years has been how do you put out credible information which is not just picture postcard this is a great place to you know take your bicycle and communities that you want to explore but you know what's the toolkit how do you do it and when I say build it and they'll come when we started the you know the Wild About Agawa project you know 10 years ago it then got picked up by Visit Scotland and Amplified and I, and, and I think we, we needed to start creating content we needed to start you know putting out inf information before, you know, other organizations went, oh, this is great. It fits our, it fits, fits our agenda as well. And it's, you know, it's very clear whether you're talking about, you know, public support through, you know, destination tourism, whether you're talking about businesses, you know, wh whether you're talking that, that there's the rising tide floats many boats. There's a lot of interest, but I think it's leadership. It's, it's having people who actually have the ideas, get people together and put out credible information. Mm. You guys have got to go. You've got a boat to catch, even that's your own boat. I don't know, this catch. is quite fun. I can do this a bit longer. <laughs> well, I want you to plug your stuff now. So I'll start on Marcus. Mm -hmm. You've got a book. How, how close to actually physically coming out is your book? And tell us about your book. Oh, it's actually in the printer, which is great. So there's no changes any longer, which is a fabulous thing. Uh, so it will be coming out on the 7th of July is the publishing date. Um, and the book's called Great British Gravel Rides. And the idea behind it is um, 
it's again what Mark's just been saying. I think you like travel writing has been such a fast growing thing, sport, whatever you want to call it, um, especially in the UK. And my idea was like to write a guidebook, but I also want to portray the people who are behind the, the rise of that. And, and travel, travel writing, if you, if you take a very broad definition, has been a long, it's been around since people have ridden their bikes. Mm -hmm. And because um, they've always been the start of the travel books and then we had Tarmac. Um, so I portrayed 25 people um, and wrote their favorite routes with them. And so I, you got Joe Bird. Yeah, we got Joe Bird. So it's like Mark's in there as well. Um, Jenny Graham, then um, Anelia McKenna. She's a, she lives in the borders and she's really a champion when it comes to diversity. So it's like their favorite rides, is that? Pretty much, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, um, and most of them, most of them are where the people live as well. So it is in there. So that's, that's similar to this you're doing, so it's like it's more your boundaries, but travel rides close to you. Pretty home. much, yeah. And it, there was a very, very interesting theme that came, which I, I didn't really think about at the beginning when I started researching the book, but it came to very, very well that the reason why a lot of people picked up gravel bikes in the UK was, was during lockdown, because those are the bikes that you can ride them from your front door and they'll get you anywhere pretty much. You know, they are kind of a good alternative between a road bike and a mountain mm. bike. So you can, you know, you can do the odd bit awkward while So yeah, no, there's a great, great project and there'll be a documentary about this as well. So I've basically filmed and photographed those routes um, and all the pictures, a selection of the pictures made it into the book. And, and now I'm working on the film, which is really much a, Hopefully, a really nice portrait of how diverse and how interesting the gravel scene is. And there's two things about the book as well. So, the sustainability theme is in there as well. I, I often thought that a lot of guide books are very much focused on cars. So, I did the research, and most of the routes are accessible by public transport. Um, for some of them, people need to ride a little bit longer to get to the start point. Um, but that was one of the key ideas. And it's also um, there's a um, 60 or 58, 42 ratio of men and women in there because I always felt like the cycling is such a male dominated sport, especially how it is portrayed in the media. And I really want to, and I think that's the huge opportunity of gravel riding because I think it's new and it has started from, from a very different starting point. So, um, and I've got two women of color in there as well. It's just, I've tried to, I tried to portray I think cycling is, is really diverse and is a really interesting activity because it is really accessible. You can, you can ride, you know, you can buy, you can buy a bike for 200 pounds and you can have fun, you can ride some of the routes on it. Um, and that was the idea behind it. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. And where can people pre-order? Who's, so who's the publisher basically? So the publisher is Vertebrate. Um, they can pre-order um, it on adventurebooks.com um, or the usual outlets, um, they'll be available and on all. And um, just and just plug your social media. Oh, so where can people? I'm sure they do follow you. Anyway. Yeah, that's just <laughs> which is a, yeah. So um, they can follow me. Uh, I think it's it's Twitter and Instagram, which are the two main channels. It's Reitzkultur, which is a bit um, that dating long back to my German days. It's R E I Z K U L T U R. What does that mean? What is that? Oh, there was um, there was basically um, a name um, I'd given um, myself uh, my, myself and a friend. We DJed in Germany. I DJed for twelve years, and that was our DJ name. So it was yeah. So and I just, I think that must have been the first time when I used Twitter. And, well, Instagram wasn't born by then, but then I kind of adopted that handle across all channels. 
And the but other the thing is by typing in Marcus Stitz. Yeah, that's pretty come. easy. And if they add single speed to the Spubo search, they'll very clearly find me. Excellent. And, and, and coming across to Mark, where, what do you want to plug at the moment? What projects you've been doing that you want to just talk about or your social media? What do you want to... Um, buy Marcus's book. Uh, <laughs> um, what, what, what have I got going on? Um, there's Race Cross America happening in June. I'm not sure when you're going to put out this, uh, this conversation, but that's going to be an interesting race. With uh, who? So with GCN, my, uh, I'm doing it as a pair. And uh, my race partner is a guy called Jonathan Schubert, who's a time trial specialist. Um, so that's been a lot of focus and training this year and the epic coast to coast. And we, we hope to break the record um, from West Coast to East Coast, going just south of Los Angeles to, to Baltimore. We'll hope to get across America in about six and a half, seven days. And that's not self-supported. You've got a truck behind you. Yeah, that's, that's an absolute all-out race. That's absolutely at the sharp end of performance. Very, very different to these, um, these, these bikepacking adventures. And, um, and that's a GCN film. I've got, I've got a book coming out uh, in the summer all about sports psychology, cycling psychology. So I wrote a book um, a couple of years ago with Laura Penhall, my performance manager, called Endurance, which was kind of all the frequently asked questions I've been asked over the last 20 years about how to go further. And the chapter that I think I enjoyed the most, and I felt there was lot, lots more to say, was psychology and mindset. And one of my key contributors for that was a San Francisco-based um, sports psych uh, called Dr. Jim Taylor. So when the, when the, when the endurance book did well, um, the publishers came back and said, what would you write about next? And I said, well, could we take that chapter and, and really develop it? So we've just finished writing, um, writing that. And um, we all know that to be a good bike rider, you need to train physically. And we all know that mindset, emotions, identity are a, a huge important part in terms of our performance as well. But even though we know that, we, we don't really do anything about it. It's just sort of... Are you born with it? Is it just experience? But there's no there's no way to train that really the way you train physically. So um, Jim brought a huge amount of knowledge, having worked with top flight US uh, teams in skiing and cycling and triathlon. And I brought my life of experience, and it was really interesting working with somebody who could bring a you know, a, a, a language and a way of describing what I'm very interested in. You know, I've always felt like my ability as a bike rider is not because of who I am physically. It's actually your ability to think your way through the task and, you know, endure in the simplest sense. So, so yeah, looking forward to that coming out in summer. So that's in July, August? It's actually meant to time as... So yeah, it'll probably come out just after Marcus's book. And who's that publisher? GCN. GCN. Uh, actually, I, the publishing... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, my first books were all Penguin Random House, so the ones which are expedition books, but my last two, which are more how-to books, information books, are, are published through GCN. Okay. And then Twitter, it's Mr. Mark Beaumont. Yeah, I'm dead easy to find, just Mark Beaumont. There is a Mark Beaumont who paints horses, and there's a Mark <laughs> Beaumont who's a music journalist. I often get tweets, from, I often get tweets from people um, really annoyed that I've slagged off their rock band, and uh, that's not me. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's that on your arm? Uh, it's a Super Sapien. It's a Super Sapien, so it's a glucose monitor. And um, So that's normally for diabetics. Yeah, it was born out of people with type 1. My wife, she's not a diabetic, but she's a diabetic doctor. 
So she often wears stuff like that. Yeah. And this is now the, the tech for athletes to, to Yeah, exactly. So you can see my, my croissant and mm. porridge is kicking in at the moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was, when I met you this morning, I was actually very low. Mm. And um, for everyone listening, we're, we're, we're looking at a graph right now. Um, and there's a massive spike as I've fueled now. And whilst I'm in a sort of a passive recovery mode here, that's all fine. But if I was to go into a performance mode, this is exactly the same graph, but with a different range on it. And I'm now in a space where I should get on my bike and start pedaling. But if I'd done that an hour ago, under-fueled, my performance would have been suboptimal. So yeah, no, it's, a, it's called a super sapien. It's, um, it's very much about, you know, 15 years ago, people geeked out on heart rate and then people geeked out on power. And, you know, layering on top of that an understanding of what's happening with your, you know, your energy systems is super interesting. That, well, you've had some breakfast, you know, go, right, why would you, There's why a, are you geeking out on, on, on the graph there when, when the human physiology, you would just, oh, I feel I'm off. Well, you think, yeah, I mean, there's an intuition about it. There's a, there's a common sense element, but we're not as objective as you might hope we are, like, when you're, when you're shattered, when you're sleep deprived, when you're pushing yourself through ultra endurance, you know, if you have a physiological bonk, if you hit the wall, it's normally correspondent with a nutritional crash. And people don't feel because their legs fail, people feel because their gut fails normally. So the psychology and the nutritional side of cycling, cyclists just want to cycle and they think it's all about how strong their muscles are, but actually they take care of themselves if the mindset and the nutrition is, is, is correct. So I don't think we are, I don't think we're as good as you're suggesting we are at knowing ourselves. And I think we should never, we should never rely on data to the point where we lose sort of the ability to sort of listen to our own body. But it's very, very, it's very, very useful and helpful to have some science behind it. I know when I'm racing, you know, RAM, I'll need about a hundred and, 10 grams of carbohydrates an hour to be able to sit at 260 watts. You know, I know, I know my numbers. And so it's pretty clear then backing that up if I'm under fueling. Um, so yeah, maybe that would kill the fun for some people, but I'm in the business of, and I have been for my whole career of trying to break down barriers. Like I, people, you know, criticize me for ruining a good bike ride by going too fast, but I've always been trying to not just break records, but create leaps in performance. I'm trying to do stuff that's not been done before. Not because I'm trying to beat other people, but because I'm very, very interested in what's possible, what my personal best is. And so data, data is really helpful. And sort of, you know, I genuinely do wish I'd known some of this when I first cycled around the world 17 years ago. I mean, back then I really was a wild man adventure. And I, I you know, I trained much better than than I did 15, 20 years ago, but it's all part of the evolution. Thanks to Marcus Stitz and Mark Beaumont there, and thanks also to you for listening to episode 296 of the Spokesman Cycling Podcast, and I brought to you in association with Turn Bicycle. Watch out for the next episode popping up in your feed real soon. But meanwhile, get out there and ride.